0: then as Lazarus came out, you remember what Jesus' words were to the, to the crowd, to the people standing around. He said, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus has his peace uh, by his Holy Spirit. But then he has the, the part for you and me to play in the unwrapping, if you will, and walking with brothers and sisters to freedom. Um uh, I told you earlier today that um Bonnie and I have been married uh, about a year and a half. We got married uh, October a year and a half ago on the beach uh in Florida with our um combined families, uh, eight kids. I have 4, she has 4 and our siblings uh, and that was it. Um and um, we've been enjoying life uh, together, and just simply exploring relationship and ministry, and seeing where God takes us. <clears throat> Bonnie's mother just turned, uh, just had her ninety-first birthday, and uh, and her mind is clear. She's a sharp, uh, feisty ninety-one-year-old. She doesn't miss much. And if you get to know Bonnie, you'll understand where she gets her feistiness. Um, but my, <clears throat> I call her mom, Overholt. Uh, she has been um, a strong, uh, what's the word, proponent, if you will, of, of supplements for our diets. But I'm curious, in a, in a group of this age... How many of you, uh, if you're okay to answer this, how many of you are taking at least one kind of supplement? Anybody? Oh, more than I, more than I thought, might. So you understand what I mean when I talk about supplements. One of the things that, that um, uh, I hear Bonnie talking about is something called artery care. And um, when she talks about that, she says it's about, it's about the heart and heart health and making sure that the lines are all open, that there's no blockage, no restrictions for the blood to circulate through the body and that, and that uh, it's free-flowing and open access. Um and so I've entitled my focus this week "Cardio Support." Uh, it's not about your physical heart, but it's about the very center, the core of your being that Scripture refers to often, over and over and over again. And we'll we'll just keep coming back to that as the week as the week wears on. Um, My wife, my first wife and I spent 20 years in northwestern Ontario as missionaries living on a living on the res uh, for part of that time, involved in education for a lot of those years. Um, And after moving after coming back south, uh, the Lord led us into a ministry uh, to marriages and so I've had opportunity over the past 18, 20 years to sit across the table uh, for what I call a week-long marriage enrichment intensive. It's a deep dive into relationships, uh, both with marriages and with a lot of uh, premarital um, couples. Just looking at at relationships, if there's one thing that... Um, I believe is critical for you and me to learn is that God is a relational God. You and I live in a relational universe. God is about relationships. And He created you and me for relationships. And He longs. He yearns, if you will, for intimacy with you and me. Uh, And so... That foundationally is is where we'll be going. I'd like to look at this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. And I don't see anything on the back screen, but I'm going to assume that it's behind me. Paul writing to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. I'm going to guess that I'm the, I'm the elder here this week. And uh, so I can... Talk about you kids and uh, your youthfulness. And Paul was writing to a young man, to Timothy. And he said, rather in your speech, in your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity, do what? Be an example. Show yourself an example to those who believe. Don't let anyone look down on you. Don't let anyone make fun of you uh, because you are young but set the example. And so a lot of what I want to sort of stir in your hearts is about that piece. It's about the opportunity, the calling, if you will, to be examples and to understand that God calls each one of us to places of influence of some kind. And I love the way Michael talked about Regardless of where we come from, the pain, the wounds that we carry, or whatever the chaos, the struggles that we're in the middle of, the Holy Spirit still wants to speak through you and me in whatever those circumstances may be. Um, there's a way that I'm not so sure I can share anything new with you this week. Um, and so... Maybe the best thing I can do is, is inspire, challenge, motivate you to simply stay on uh, on an intentional, transformational journey with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. And to think then about the ways that He wants to use your influence in the world and in the kingdom. A number of years ago... Um, my late wife gave me a copy of the Message, which is Doctor Eugene Peterson' um, rather loose paraphrase, but I was using it as my read-through the Bible um, that year. And I got to Isaiah, and in the beginning of, of Isaiah, the Word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, "There's coming a time when, when the mountain of God's house." will be established as the mountain. It will be raised up above all, or above all of the hills. And people from all over will set out for the mountain. One translation says they'll river toward it. Another translation says they'll stream toward it. People from all over will set out for the mountain of the Lord. And they'll say to each other, Come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to the house of the God of Jacob. Why is that important? Well, it was this verse, this sentence here, that grabbed me in a way that never had before. In the message, or excuse me, in the the, uh, King James, I think it says, he will teach us of his ways so that we can walk in his paths. In the message, it says, he will show us the way he works. So that we can live the way we're made. Or we can live the way God created us. By implication. If you and I don't understand the way God works. We can't live the way he planned for us to live. Fulfilled. Meaningful. Satisfied. Productive. Fruitful lives in the kingdom. And so I'd like to invite you to to run with me this week to the house of Jacob and invite the Holy Spirit to simply show us the way God works and to unfold for us. Maybe some of this will be just a good review of things you already know. And maybe there will be a few little nuggets here and there that you might say, well, I hadn't ever quite thought about that being one of those foundational ways that God works. As an influencer, as one in the kingdom, if you want a healthy circle of friends, people around you, then you have to be healthy yourself. We tend to gravitate to people like us, and we're either influencers, or we will be influenced. And so if on a scale of 1 to 10... If you're a 5, then your circle of friends will likely only ever be a 5 unless you're searching out people who are 7, 8, or 10. And so the only way to a healthier circle of friends is to grow and change. That's the bad news for you and me. We need to be on a journey of Letting Jesus change us. And change can be hard. We find places of things that are... It's a comfort zone for us. I like the way this feels. And so don't rock my boat. I'll stay right here. It's the place that I know as normal. It's what I know as best. It's no different. In a church, it's, that's true of leadership in a church. If I want a church, if I want the congregation that I'm leading, if I'm in a place of leadership. If I want it to be a 10, then I need to let Jesus take me there. It's true in friendships like we talked about. It's also true in marriage. Um, I've had the delightful experience of sitting across the table from three or 400 couples over the last 18 or 20 years. And I've heard their stories. Um, and a healthy marriage takes two healthy partners. Now, none of you want to get married, I know. Um, actually, I know that you do because that is foundationally one of the ways that God God works. And that's a rabbit trail that I'm going to resist, but I'll talk to you off record if you would like to explore that with me. Um, I read recently... Someone said people marry to the level of their brokenness. People marry to the level of their brokenness. And I'm not sure I like that when I'm tending to blame Bonnie for some weakness or foible that I think I'm seeing in her. Um, I have a daughter and her family who live in Nome, Alaska. And one of her lines was, she said, water finds its own level. And that's true in relationship of that kind. Another person said, a wounded heart always finds a wounded heart. And so my challenge to each one of us is that if we want healthy relationships, if if you're looking for healthy, intimate relationships at some point, then do whatever it takes to be intentional now and let the Holy Spirit change and renew your mind, transform you, and become healthy and whole. Uh, Sometimes I've, in conferences or seminars, I've joked that life can be hard. Life can be brutal. When, When you're always right, and you can't help it. Some of you will get that next week maybe. Um, that, that's where I lived for a lot of life. I was pretty convinced that I was right. I couldn't help it. And it doesn't work real well. Um, I found this. I don't know if you can read it from the back or not, but I like Peanuts. Uh, Linus says, I have a theological question. When you die and go to heaven, are you graded on a percentage or on a curve? Charlie Brown says, on a curve, naturally. Linus says, well, how can you be so sure? Charlie Brown says, I'm always sure about things that are a matter of opinion. This week... Uh, I'm I'm looking at cardio support. And I'm looking at the heart as it's referred to in Scripture. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart, King James I think says, with all diligence. I think a, a sort of literal meaning there is keep your heart with all keeping. Whatever you do, Take care of your heart, because what out of it is the outflow of life. That's where we, you and I, live. Have you ever thought about it that we don't live out of this? And I, there's another rabbit trail, but I'm going to chase it for just a minute. You and I can know all kinds of things here that we've learned from little up. We know the verses of Scripture. And we can quote them. But oftentimes, not for you, but for a lot of people that I meet, there's a different truth in the heart. Um, I know I I can preach and teach that God is love. His love is eternal. It's unconditional. But when I'm all alone in the dark, I'm just not quite sure that that it's possible for Him to love me. And the reality is that I live out of, out of that, out of that truth that's in my heart. Sometimes we define the soul as the mind, the will, and the emotions. Um, and sometimes people sort of interchange the heart and the soul. Um, I think of the heart as the core essence of who I am, the real, the real me. Uh, And so that's what I I want you to think about this week is how can I take care of my heart? How can I make sure that my heart is healthy and whole? Because you and I live in in a broken world and we have an enemy that's vicious who comes to steal and kill and to destroy. He wants to take us out in any way possible. John Maxwell said that people change when they hurt enough that they have to. That if they learn enough that they want to and they receive enough that they are able to. Um, And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Sometimes, even though I learn, I, I may know it all in my head. I still don't have what it takes to really make those tough changes. Sometimes I say that there's, there's this um, sort of teeter-totter for you and me between uh, shame and vulnerability or honesty. There's things, there's secrets that I carried for years and years. I grew up in a pastor's family, wonderful, godly parents. But the reality is that they weren't perfect. There are no perfect parents. And so there were things that they missed or that I missed connecting with. Um, And so I grew up with secrets that I carried from little up that I didn't want anyone to ever know. But the time came for me when I guess the pain began to outweigh the shame of being known. And I didn't care who knew what. I was ready, I, I was desperate for help. Maybe I can weave some of that in uh, as we go along. In my experience, a lot of times what we do is we, we, we slap band-aids on the symptoms of problems. We tell someone to stop smoking or stop doing drugs or whatever the issues are. And we don't go to the, to the root cause, the root driver in the heart that takes a person to that behavior. Um, and when we only try to change behavior on the outside without going to the heart, we're not going to get very far. We need to go to the go to the roots and ask ask the why questions. I've come to believe that there's always always, 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 always always. <laughs> a reason why you and I do the things that we do. And I'll confess pretty quickly that for a lot of my life, I didn't stop to ask the why questions. I just knew I was stuck. And I couldn't change some of the behaviors that were shameful and that bogged me down. And so if you and I want to be fruitful, productive, then we have to choose A path to maturity, to healing, to freedom. We need to choose to grow up emotionally. It's about choices. I like the way Michael led us early on and he invited us to reflect a choice. Michael, along with the rest of the kids, it's about choices for you and me. God gifts us, He's gifted each one of you in unique and special ways. But to grow up and to be like Jesus, to know him personally, to know him intimately means a choice. I've been on a journey. It seems like sort of a short journey. It's been a a long journey in a lot of ways. And I keep inviting Jesus to come and meet me by His Holy Spirit, to take me to whatever those new places are. And about the time I think I'm sort of beginning to get things figured out, He comes and says, Don, how about this? Or He puts His finger on a blind spot that I haven't yet connected with. In my journey... One of those first places that Jesus rolled into my life around was that idea of being right. And along with it then was my defensiveness and my self-protection. In my experience, sometimes it can take a lot of years for us to be ready for change, willing for change, or maybe just finding the courage to make the changes that Jesus wants to take us to. It can be slow and it can be, be painful. I'd like to go back to Eden for a few minutes. Um, the beginning of the book, uh, our first parents were in a perfect, perfect place where God came to walk and talk with them, to just, just hang out because He liked to be there with them. They sinned. And they were afraid, so they went into hiding. Um, did God did God have a momentary lapse of his what would it be, his omniscience at that point? Did God not not know where they were hiding? What do you think? Knew exactly, knew exactly where they were at. I think you're right. But he didn't sneak up on them and say, Boo, gotcha. What did he do? Stood and called. Adam, Eve, where are you guys? He waited for what? Admittance? Sorry? Confession. Confession, I like that word. He wanted them to just be real. To admit what happened. To come out of hiding. To admit the truth. For me, that's one of those Isaiah ways that God works. It's no different. He illustrated it back in the first book. But it's the same for you and me today. And He will call. Don, where are you? Will you come and be real with me? Will you admit the reality of your situation? And so, one of the challenges for all of us is to understand what the things are that we may be hiding or that we are what not even aware of yet. Jesus can't heal what you and me, you and I won't admit. For me, it was as simple as some issues of pride and anger, which led in my journey straight into being defensive if I felt attacked or or criticized. And so Jesus needed to take me to a place of owning the reality of those things that I needed to admit. And, own. and just like with, with our first parents in Eden, God is a perfect gentleman. He, he won't violate our freedom to choose. Another way that God works, He created you and me, I believe, with the freedom to choose, with free will. He doesn't force you and me to change. I love reading through the New Testament and and looking at all the ways that Jesus was invitational, not coercive. He didn't force people. If you want to be my disciple, this is what it's about, this is what it involves, this is what it takes. Rob Reimer says we can't heal. What we won't admit. God can't cleanse what we won't confess. Bonnie and I talk about uh, our other lives uh, before we met each other and began uh, life, exploring life as second chance soulmates. Um. In my other life, my, my wife Marilyn, I discovered about 20 years in that she didn't feel safe enough with me to share her true, deep inner feelings. I thought I was safe. I wanted to be the best husband, the best dad, the best missionary that I could possibly be but I she didn't see me as safe. I loved the way Michael walked us into the what was it around the small groups and finding places of safety. I want to be available if any of you want to visit or explore things as we have time this weekend because all of us need those places. Where we know that we know that we know that it's safe. Let me talk about three entry points to change. And then we'll see if we can wrap this up. Um, Places of change that we ache for, we long for, but we don't know quite how to get there. One of the first things that for me is, it's just a place. You and I need to find ourselves in places where there's good teaching, solid biblical teaching, where the teaching is lived out in the life of the teacher. It's fleshed out, if you will, in whoever's doing the teaching. I need to confess to you that I've done a lot of teaching from here, out of my head. And I say when I teach from my head, I connect with heads. It's only when you and I live out of our hearts and when we teach out of our hearts that we connect with the heart. I can't take someone else where I've never gone. I can't give what I don't have. And so, as much as I'm grateful for... for academic um, learning and intellectual challenges and all that. I love that. That's head stuff, and it's important at times. But if it doesn't connect to the heart. For me, it's increasingly sort of a waste of time. Second thing is that if you and I are going to change, um, transformation happens best within the context of community, relationships. We have an enemy, like I said, that wants to keep you and me isolated from others being lone rangers. Um, He's the father of lies and darkness. And he wants you and me to live in that darkness with all all the toxicity, the poison of secrets, shame, the things that are hidden, and never ever being known by... Brothers and sisters, people closest, but I'm talking about a unique, um, a unique and special kind of community here. This isn't just random community. There are times, um, there are times when I talk about having moved uh, to the ghetto in Sarasota, Florida, and depending where I say that. It stirs things and and it sounds very negative. But you know, that term is not negative at all. In its roots, um, I looked up the definition of ghetto and I think Webster says that it's just a quarter of the city or a part of the city in which members of a minority group live together. It's a cluster of people of similar backgrounds. And so in... In the Pinecraft ghetto, if any of you know Pinecraft, uh, it's a ghetto because it's Amish Mennonite people who have gathered out of unique social similarities. There's nothing negative about it uh, unless you attach that connotation. In our roots and some of you may not have those Anabaptist roots. But, but in those roots, we are known in religious spiritual circles for our strong community. In fact, we've even developed a theology of community. Written about it. But the community that I'm talking about is one where there is open, honest vulnerability in a culture of grace, I didn't. I don't know how many of you experienced that kind of community growing up. You know, a, a church community, a religious community ought to be the safest place on the planet for that kind of interaction and vulnerability, transparency. But oftentimes, for a lot of people I bump into, it hasn't been that. The third thing, if we're going to experience change and transformation, we need the presence and the power of God. You and I can't change hearts. We can't change our own hearts. We can't change the hearts of other people. We can't fix each other. I heard someone say recently that God doesn't want to fix us. He wants a relationship with us. And out of that relationship, we will be transformed. And so only Jesus can change the heart. In Luke chapter about 4, I think it is, Jesus was bouncing around Galilee, Judea, and it says He came into His hometown on the weekend. And as He was accustomed to doing, He went to the synagogue and He stood up to read. And the attendant, or the rabbi, handed Him a scroll that you and I know as the Isaiah scroll. And he began reading. The Spirit of Almighty God is on me. He anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal broken hearts. He sent me to what? Break the chains. Unlock the prison doors. Announce the year of God's favor. People sat there and sort of were, couldn't understand what this young rabbi was saying. They said, if you're an English student, He read that in the first person. Spirit of Almighty God is on me. He anointed me. He sent me. They said he read that like it was about himself. But we know him. He grew up here. Then you remember what Jesus said. He looked around and he said, today that prophecy is fulfilled right here in your very presence. That's me. Isaiah was writing about me. That's why I came. And Jesus is saying to you and me, I'm the one that can heal broken hearts and break the chains. When I think about my journey through the years, it's not tough for me to see that the places of change, maybe all the places of change, renewal, transformation, can be traced directly to the, to the ways that Jesus showed up Tangibly. As I experience his power and his presence at work in me, I'm going to try hard to weave some of those into the into my presentations this week. Or don't mind you asking me about those during a break. And so for you and me, if we want to personally find places of emotional health and wholeness and places of influence in the kingdom, in the church, in the world, I believe that one of our top priorities should be to very intentionally create the kind of environment, the kind of culture, if you will, where these three components of change and transformation are present, where they're available, where other people find those in relationship to to you and me, because it's what we long for. It's what God created us for, if you will. And it's those kinds of communities, those kinds of circles where people are drawn to because it's where you and I find life. So let me wrap this up um, and tell you where we're going to go starting tomorrow morning. There was an old um, Mennonite revivalist who lived... Just a little before my time, so most of you, you may may not have even heard his name. A fellow by the name of George Brunk. He traveled through Mennonite communities with a big tent and had crusades. And um, one of his lines was, I love watching the Lord build the service. This morning we sat upstairs as a team uh, for a time of prayer together and Michael said at one point he said one of the things that God is has been laying on my heart has been this issue of identity and you heard him say that here earlier and my goosebumps got goosebumps when he said that because I thought yes he had no idea what Jesus has been laying on my heart but tomorrow morning very first session, when we get into this, um, I want to talk about identity, and so the very first cardio support principle is that you and i we have to be founded on a solid, healthy foundation, knowing that who we are is based only on who we are in Jesus, not value that's found in. In what we do, how, how we perform, how much we have. And you'll probably hear me say in a variety of ways that the issue of your value, the issue of my value was settled forever at the cross. And I was going to remember, I love the song, the, the one line in the song, the cross has spoken and what? And I'm forgiven. The cross is spoken. And you and I are forgiven. So it's about identity. And then as you and I learn to walk in the light with God, with people around us, through confession and through repentance, it's just one of those crucial things for cardio health, for heart health. It's where you and I need to stay on a journey of becoming um, self-aware, knowing who we are. And that, by the way, is the doorway to change. Self-awareness is not a guarantee of change, but change won't happen without it. And so as you and I walk in the light, that's where true fellowship happens. Jesus said that He is the light. And so we learn to live, to walk in the Spirit, in the light. And that really is about Finding our way to new and deep places of forgiving the people that have wounded us. Another place that we'll see how far we get, whether we get there. um, Every single one of us. I don't care how delightfully wonderful your family of origin is. We all have the baggage of generational family sin patterns. We live in a broken world. And if you and I don't do the hard work of understanding what those patterns are and unpacking them, they'll always be no end. Next is around forgiveness of those who have wronged us. It's what Jesus called the mark of His disciples. The people out there that don't know Jesus, they can love people who treat them well. There's nothing special about that. But to love one who has abused you or misused you, that's what takes the love of Jesus inside. Um, This is one that, at least in my experience, I don't know how it's been for you, But in my experience, this was a piece that was missed uh, in my journey. For me, it's really an essential part of forgiveness. And so I'll probably separate them. But it's the deep and the therapeutic healing of the wounds of our hearts. There's no wounding that's too deep for Jesus to heal. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't make any difference what all you've been involved in or how horrific or traumatic. The pain, the wounds have been. Jesus loves to meet us there. There's no brokenness. It's too great for the work of His Holy Spirit. Number six is one that, that I don't think I've gave enough attention to uh, through the years. Uh, but it's one that I've been thinking about more recently, and that relates to conquering our fears. Jesus said that perfect love casts out fear. I think the number one commitment or the number one command in Scripture is fear not. Don't be afraid. And I know that I can make some really poor choices when I'm driven by fear. And the last thing then is you know, the enemy is always looking for entry points or for door points, he's looking to find a place. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 7. Paul in the King James calls it ground or a place, a location. Sometimes we talk about strongholds. Satan was defeated by Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross. And there's times when you and I need to realize his oppression, his bondage, and trust Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, to break those chains, to open the prison doors, to send whatever harassing spirits there are to the pit. And I'm going to stop with that. In John chapter 10, 27, uh, Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice. I call them by name. That's a promise for you and me. I'd... Love to just do some detours and, and, and look at the ways that you and I learn to hear the voice of the shepherd. I'm not going to ask you. How many of you hear from Jesus regularly? Um, if you would have asked me that at a certain point, I would have said, um, Yeah, I think so. I read my Bible and, and it's there, but I didn't hear the voice of the shepherd. And so I'm not sure what Michael's going to take us into, into this next time of reflection, but I'd just like to encourage you as the week wears on to listen, anticipate the whispers of the Holy Spirit within.